Welcome to another episode of How You Can Too with your host, your boy, Alvy, a.k.a. Danny, a.k.a. Mr. You Can Too. I have a great friend of mine on the podcast today, the one and only Chloe Molesky. Chloe is a mental performance and skills coach. And in today's episode, we take a deep dive in how her upbringing as an athlete from the youth age all the way through college has inspired her and help her craft her work as a mental performance and skills coach. We also dive deep into the importance of awareness, having a solid anchor to ground yourself in, and the importance of working on your self-care in order to be the best version of yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your family, friends, and loved ones. It would mean the world to me if you leave a review of the show and a five-star rating as well. I honor you, I appreciate you, and as always, you can too. Enjoy the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I have a special, special, special guest in the building today. We have Chloe Molesky, who I met back at Paleo Effects. I want to say that was 2019, aka the last Paleo Effects before COVID hit, so Chloe is an absolutely amazing person. She has this aura about her that really has you see her, but then at the same time be seen and recognized and know that you are valued and appreciated. And Chloe right now is working as a mental performance coach and a mental skills coach, really bridging the gap between not only physical performance, but also how the mental performance is so important for athletes of all kinds. Chloe, welcome to the show. You have- no, my pleasure. My pleasure, my pleasure. I mean, I think it's so cool, like, uh, you know, us meeting at a place like Paleo FX, where for me, it's the opportunity to meet so many like-minded people. And I remember you having such a big impact on my experience that year when it was like you, myself, Steve, Antonio, Jeremy, just, you know, everyone hanging out and, you know, really sharing ideas and understanding that, you know, everyone who is, I guess, presenting at that time, like we're like the big names. Like, I remember all of us having conversations like, yo, like we're going to be the next generation of people doing that. And I think that's something that I see right now, especially as I look at everything that you're up to and what you're putting out in the world. It's really, really special. And I would love if you could let the audience know a little bit about you in terms of why you find the mental performance coaching so impactful in your road to getting getting there. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I also I feel the same way about paleo effects and being around like minded people and the energy and you had an aura as well. And I'm just very happy to be here. And it is pretty awesome to just see how far we've come since then, both of us. So absolutely. Um, yeah. So my journey to mental skills and why I think the mental side of the game is so important. And it's it's actually it, it's such a gap. I feel like. You know, we see these elite athletes and youth athletes. I mean, we're seeing sports specialization at such a younger age now. People are just grinding physically, but what are they doing mentally? And I think what really connected the dots for me on this is if you take a locker room of professional athletes and you have them, you know, close their eyes, take a few deep breaths and think about their best athletic performance or best game that season. And like really getting vivid with it, visualizing it, what it felt like, etc. And then doing the same thing with their worst performance. If you had to figure out what was physically different about them between those games, most of the time it's not much. Mm. It's what's between the ears and what's going on there. And I, I just feel like we could create not only better athletes, but better humans if we started focusing on this part at a younger age. And for me, um, how I got here and the journey of why I feel so strongly about this is I was 
performing at a high level in high school and just grinding so disciplined and so intense and physically a monster but I got to college and all these pressures came and all these mental obstacles came and I just broke and I had no way to navigate it and I didn't feel Mm -hmm. supported and I then spent all post-college and most of college so I I would call it identity foreclosure I don't know if you can relate to that term but when you're an athlete and everything revolves around your sport um, your identity revolves around your sport and then that ends it's like what do you do now and it's not just athletes that experience this it could be you know a businessman it could be you know, uh, I was talking to a pageant queen the other day and that was her identity and things like that, where you're just so wrapped up in it and you're hyper-focused on this goal that you forget about your surroundings and other parts of your being. So my goal through coaching is to foster that whole part of the athlete and make sure that they're not neglecting the mental part and these, these other sides of them as they reach towards their goals. Yeah, I think for me, that resonates so much and it makes perfect sense. This idea of identity foreclosure, where most times I know this was my experience right after I graduated college and I was done being a college football player. It was like, okay, who am I now? And I can only imagine through the conversations that I've had with you know professional NFL players, you know, we have these same conversations of like, okay, who is it? that you are while you're a football player because you are a whole human being and being a football player is just one of the costumes that you wear. It's just one part of you where at least I make up, no one else is telling athletes that like, hey, you are more than just the sports you play or you are more than just the pageants that you're in or you are more than just the everyday job as a attorney, a doctor, dentist, mechanic, whatever it may be. And for an athlete to be able to recognize that, I would imagine would give them more peace, but there's no readily available tools for that. Yes, exactly. And I think where we've kind of steered wrong in the past is we've made talking to someone about the mental part look like a weakness when in fact it's a strength if you're able to identify and value other parts of yourself that's going to show on the court and that's what I'm finding with my athletes and that's where I uh I feel the most fulfilled is seeing these athletes think about other parts of themselves and then having it actually pay off in their performance and that's why it's performance coaching because you know we think of these things as mutually exclusive like oh i'm just a football player like i can't you know try and be an entrepreneur too and all these other things but what if we reframe that as they're helping each other Mm, absolutely as one feeding the other what what have you found in your work so far that opens up an athlete to that possibility of looking deeper within themselves and seeing what's possible outside of just their sport Well, I'm sure you can relate to this too. Uh, You know, I think the greatest tool with coaching is, you know, fostering self-awareness for your client and, you know, being that soundboard. And if you're self-aware, then it dictates how you move through the world. And I find that when I'm working with athletes, you know, it really depends on the level too, because if you're working with younger athletes, I can go into a session and be super focused and be like, okay, today we're going to talk about mindfulness or uh we're going to talk about pressure you know i could go in with one topic and we can just break it down there they soak it up like a sponge they're excited when you get to the higher levels you know they've already made it so it's like why do i need to talk to you it's much more meeting them where they are and they have you know they're getting paid now they have a family they have bills to pay you know there's all these outside things coming in so i find that with professional athletes it's more it's much more meeting them where they are and going from there and then with my younger athletes i can be like today we're talking about pressure here let's go no that makes perfect sense how the younger athletes are much more open to hearing about different possibilities and about learning right in that moment whereas a lot of professional athletes you know they've had so much success already and that's what got them 
to the professional level. So it can sometimes be this idea of like, well, everything I'm doing has worked up to this point. Why is it that I need to add X, Y, Z when it comes to mental performance? I definitely understand that part. What have you found to be maybe some of the differentiating factors between maybe a high level athlete who's performing well and is open to having more of those conversations versus the high performing athlete who might be closed off? Is there any like specific things about their ways of being or their perspective and outlook that make one more open than the other? That's a good question. I mean, I think it comes back to being present and being open. Uh, I'm sure if we did like a big five personality test on the athletes I work with, the people with the most success would be openness would be one of their main characteristics. Mm. Um, I think it also comes down to uh, where, so you're saying what, what makes an athlete that is able to perform or receive what we're talking about, what, what sets them apart or what's different from an athlete that doesn't? Yeah, exactly. I would almost imagine, or at least I'm making up that, you know, these athletes who are more open to the mental side of coaching end up having more success in their sport to maybe the ones who aren't. And maybe that's off base. Maybe that's not true. But I would wonder, like, what are like some of the qualities that the ones who are open have that maybe these other ones don't? Yeah. Well, truth be told, I only work with athletes that are open. So, you know, I'm not going to force anyone to sit down with me. That would be, that kind of goes completely against what I'm trying to foster and create. So I don't really have any athletes. I have, I guess I have two youth athletes that um, it's a little bit more of a, my parents want me to, you know, talk to you type of thing. Right, right, right. Where That's a little bit different, but uh, for the most part, I'm only working with athletes that understand that this is a superpower. If they can control between the ears, then they're going to show up and they're going to be sustainably successful, which I think is the biggest uh, The biggest difference is you can be a fantastic athlete and get to a really high level, but can you sustain it while being well? Is your well-being being jeopardized? Is your, like, what's going on there? And I find that mostly athletes something had to give for them to get to that level. So how do we balance that out? Let's work through that. No, that makes a lot of sense, especially what you were first saying about only working with these athletes who want to do this type of work because, you know, one of my core principles is that I can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. Right. And that's a big part of, yeah, meeting somebody where they're at. I'd be curious to know with these athletes that you're working with, do you ever find there to be certain commonalities that are kind of holding them back or like mental things that are stopping them from reaching their highest potential that is very common even for like the non-athletes or like the people whose sport is their profession, whether it's, you know, being a lawyer, all those things. Yeah, I think something that everyone can relate to in athletes as well Uh, is negative self-talk you know those negative thoughts are always going to creep in so something that i use or a tool i use with athletes is we kind of we use the street light system and this is kind of it's a mindfulness tool have you heard about it no i haven't okay so basically if you think of a time so we'll just use running as an example because um I was a runner and I can relate to this pretty deeply. Um, So if I'm running and I feel really, really strong on my run and I'm telling myself I'm on my first repeat, I'm doing 400 meter repeats, let's say that, and I'm on my first one and I feel great and in my head I'm like, I feel strong, this is awesome. That's a green light. That's, you know, I'm positive, I feel good. If I get on my second repeat and I'm like, oh, it's too cold, I don't want to be doing this, like uh, my legs do not feel strong, that's a red light. And the whole idea here is to find the yellow light. So the yellow light is coming back to your footstep, your breath, something physical that's real, that's not a thought to help navigate to get back to that green light. So as soon as I recognize that I'm having that negative thought, 
I find my footstep, I find my breath, I find something to distract me from that negative thought. So I have the awareness to go back to a green light. Does that make sense? Yeah, it almost sounds like a mindful meditation, but like mm. physically moving like within your practice. Exactly. It's all about having the awareness of what do I do? Like we can't stop those negative thoughts from coming in. That's really, really hard. And it takes a lot of energy to try and control. So let's just create awareness, get back to something real to, to the present moment, and then navigate back to that green light and those positive affirmations. Yeah, I love that because it's it's almost like a, a pattern interruption. It's like once you realize you're going into this pattern of negative thinking or things that maybe you can't control by coming back to something physical like the breath, that allows you to become present in the here and now. And, you know, in the running example, really find your footing and get back to what's working. Uh, I love that. That's a powerful tool. And I think for everyone who's listening I think that's something that you can add to your everyday life. It's one, first catching yourself when you are going into like that negative thought loop, that negative feedback loop. And the minute that you catch it, go back to whatever your yellow light is. So whether it is the breath, whether it is to focusing on some type of sound, something that's there for you, that can allow you to get out of that negative thought loop and back onto whatever's important for you at that time. Exactly. Yeah, I think it can be translated to, you know, a, a lawyer having a negative thought and then focusing on the piece of paper, the file he's picking up and feeling his hand on that file to get back to, okay, that was a negative thought. Let's get back to a green light. I love that. I love that. And I think awareness is something that's so important because once a person has awareness, now they have the choice to do something different, right? Yeah. And that's where I think there's so many people in my experience that are constantly going through autopilot where they're just living their life. They're they're moving, but they're not necessarily or they're not necessarily intentionally moving towards where they want to go. They're kind of just letting their thoughts just guide them. And oftentimes, like if the thoughts aren't serving you, it's not going to physically take you to where you want to go. hundred percent. And I think well, even more so, they need to know where they want to go. So I think Facts. something that, you know, I always start sessions with is I'm, I'm very communicative with my clients. What is your goal out of this? What do you want? And that's a big question and we can break it down. And, you know, a lot of times we go into the five whys of really getting deep and figuring that out. Yeah, right. And once we figure out what they want, then it's just a matter of, taking those steps and being intentional and recognizing that things aren't always going to be smooth sailing. Uh, but um, a good analogy I heard was that, you know, a pilot takes changes directions like every 30 seconds in the air. Have you ever heard mm -hmm. this? Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. So, but he's still going, if a plane's going from New York to LA, it's still going to get to LA despite the fact that it's switching every 30 seconds. So if we know that we're trying to get to LA from New York, we know that we're trying to achieve this goal. It's okay that it's going to switch up. If we have that long-term goal in mind, it's going to, it's going to eventually get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's this, this idea, like to me, what comes up when you say that is the quote of, you know, if you don't have a destination, any road will take you there. And it's basically flipping that the other way. And it's understanding like, hey, once you know where it is that you want to go and you're very clear in that and why that's important to you, it's understanding that the journey is where all the learning is going to happen throughout that process and that it's okay to change directions. And oftentimes it's necessary to change directions because you're not going to know if you're moving in the optimal direction without actually trying to move and take action towards that spot exactly yes that's, that's huge i love that man chloe something that that always resonates with me especially with the work that i'm doing it's kind of like this idea of the wounded healer are, are you familiar with that i'm not i would love to hear more i i have something in mind i'm not sure if it's the same thing though okay so like the wounded healer the idea is that like say for me in my instance a lot of who I am now as a coach and 
you know, a holistic life advancement coach, helping people achieve their dream life in a way that is fulfilling, sustainable, and healthy. I got to that point of being in this role because of, you know, overcoming a lot of the trauma that I went through myself. And basically the ways that I got to heal through mainly my mom's death and like our relationship before she passed away, healing my relationship with myself in terms of understanding, you know, are my goals actually my goals or is it because it's what I think society wants me to do? And then also knowing now like health is so much more than just like the physical side of things. Like I used to just want to like train six, seven days a week, put in 12, 14 hours a week and basically just grind, 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 beat myself up into being healthy all while neglecting emotional health, mental health and spiritual health. And now that I've been on my journey and I've been able to heal and still be in the process of healing many of those things. And because of those hard traumas that I've learned from and experienced, now I'm in a position to help people who are going through their version of that, whatever that may look like through their own relationship with themselves, a relationship with a loved one, or a relationship with, say, health. What I would love to know is, if you're open to talking about it, is what were some of those tough, vulnerable experiences that you learned from that transition of when you were this very elite high school athlete to making that transition to college and then having all of those different things and obstacles come up in college that I believe is what made you who you are today and has you doing the type of work you're doing on the mental side. Like what were those challenges that you had to overcome? Yeah. Well, I want to commend you for the work you're doing. And I think, yeah, I think trauma is um, such a big part of many people's journey. And, you know, we're all, there's people have these experiences and they don't even realize how like a scent or a sight can, you know, bring back this memory that might be, very very difficult so right. um it's something that i'm spending a lot of my time researching and understanding because i think it's a part of a lot of people's journey and it's really really hard <laughs> so absolutely so share that to begin um for me what were some of the okay so i first of all realized that i was getting all of my self-worth I didn't have any intrinsic self self worth. It was all based on my accolades mm. being, you know, the like vice president of my class and you know Gatorade athlete. Like it was all these external things. That was who I was. That was I didn't really know right. anything else. So I think that's been the biggest journey is like finding my intrinsic self worth and appreciating myself, no matter if I run a five minute mile or a nine minute mile. <laughs> Um, absolutely and i think i had a lot of uh you know body image issues around because i was a distance runner and i don't look like a distance runner and i you know again kind of what you were talking about am i am i just listening to the world's narratives you know because you get told something enough and you believe it so i was getting told that i didn't look like a distance runner but i was and i was running times that were good So it was just confusing for me to negotiate that in my head. Um, So that was something I worked through. Um, Injury, obviously, that was most of my Duke career. So that was, I'm happy. I would never be able to show up for my athletes the way I do if I hadn't experienced injury before. Um, What else? Uh, I mean, we could go deeper into like family stuff, but I feel like... (laughs) Um, I mean, I, something I think I still am growing or working through is like, again, it's not, I, I don't think what I experienced was trauma, but I, I haven't seen much love in my life and like true love or what I, what I think love can be and should be, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, what's your definition of love or like, how do you use it or view it? Yeah. Well, I think it comes back to this intrinsic, um, 
you know, unconditional love where for me, for some reason, I felt love, but I felt love because I was good and I was doing all the right things. Like, would my parents still love me if I wasn't running really fast and like a high achiever and hitting all these marks? I don't, and I know they would, but I didn't, I didn't feel that way when I was younger. And I had that realization where like I, cause I hated running. Like I remember being so nervous for races and I'm like in seventh grade, why am I doing that? I have no idea. But it was because I was a people pleaser. Like it was like I wanted to feel loved and accepted. But what I really wanted was for my parents to be like, Chloe, like you don't have to do this if you don't want to. Because <laughs> clearly I didn't want to. I was like so miserable. I was happy when I won. But that was, again, just like an external validation. It wasn't me actually being happy with who I am. Right, right, right. And I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that's something – that I see a lot in youth sports is a lot of kids who mind you, they might be amazing at their sport, but they're not really doing it because they love it. They're doing it because their parent wants them to do it, or at least they think that their parent wants them to do it. And now all of the accolades, all of the wins, all of the acknowledgement is basically happening on the outside it's all external it's not really bringing that fulfillment on the inside that i believe if an athlete really loves something like that's where it would come from but we're young we're not just taught that we're not just taught like hey if you don't want to do something like you can speak up and say that you don't want to do it it's like no it's like we want to be a part of the tribe we want to make the tribe happy and typically that tribe is our family, our close friends, our teammates, and typically everyone gets happiest when we're winning. Yeah, so I really appreciate you you sharing that aspect of it. And I think it's even trauma is like a funny word, right? Like I think, or at least I make up that, you know, a person hears the word trauma and like it's supposed to be like this super dark, heavy type of thing. But even that is very like, you know, subjective, right, to the person. And to me, I think trauma is any type of event that has like a negative impact on our psyche, our spirit, our soul, how we we look at ourselves. And I think it comes in so many different, you know, shapes, sizes, and ways. But um, once we're able to, to really see what it is, and we're able to kind of work with that and overcome that, and, you know, kind of go through that hero's journey with it, that's when we come out stronger on the other side. That's when we're able to show up as our full self. And to me, what's most important about it is it gives me in my my own circumstances, my own life experience, it gives me the understanding that I understand what I went through and I understand how it hurt me and I understand what I learned from it. And now I can use all of those things and I can potentially help somebody else who's going through a similar thing because I'm like, hey, I've been there. This is what happened to me. This is what it looked like for me. This is what helped me. You know, if any of what I'm I'm explaining could potentially help you out, then like I'm here to talk. I'm here to help. Mm, Yeah. It's so true. Using our own experiences and traumas to help others is I think the highest form of self-care facts it's something that we you know we promote this self-care culture of you know treat yourself but what truly i i didn't realize this but helping others is where i you know if i'm depressed or feeling anything anxious depressed my mom's always like go help someone and it's true Mm -hmm. it gets you out of that funk and i think being able to share and help others is just what it's all about absolutely absolutely i feel the same way and in and in the same way you say that it reminds me of how you know for me to truly be able to help somebody else you know i get to help myself and i think for many people going through that process of serving someone else actually lets them help themselves because maybe that's where they're what they're here to do they are here to serve at a high level and that's why I think the inner work that I know you and I have both been doing and we continue to do and help other people do 
it's so important because I believe when I heal myself, the world starts to heal. If, if the person next to me starts to heal themselves, the world starts to heal. And I, yeah. And I think one thing that 2020 really showed me is how much hurt there is in the world. Right. And especially even in the United States, which is a, you know, one of the most developed, you know, wealthy, you name it type of countries. Yet there's so many people that are dealing with so many dark, hard things. And I think it's one of those instances where oftentimes people try to make themselves feel better by saying like, oh, well, at least my situation's not as bad as that person next to me. Or it's not as bad as what my uncle's going through. Or it's not as bad as what my friend's father is going through. But at the end of the day, when we do that, we're comparing apples to oranges. And I think one of the things that make us human is that we all go through our own version of rock bottom. And when we can tap into that feeling of like, damn, like that person just probably did that thing because they're in a really shitty dark spot. And I know how I felt or how I feel when I'm in a shitty dark spot. So like now I can show some more sympathy or I can practice more compassion because I know that feeling as opposed to trying to compare it to, you know, someone who has it worse than me in another place. Yeah, I think it's hard because I think comparison and competitiveness is part of how we evolved like we were we were created to kind of look at our the neighbor across the fence and be like what are they doing I want more whatever (laughs) and it's about reprogramming that and now that we all have or not we don't all have enough but most of us when we are looking at our neighbor it's over things that are just so uh just so material yeah or yeah unnecessary i don't know if that's the right word but yeah um yeah we just have such an abundance of so many things and i don't think i mean this is going this this conversation now where i'm going is a different direction than i thought but just we we have a i think the problem is like distribution of things Mm -hmm. if that makes sense and absolutely that, that we're looking at it the wrong way. Exactly what you're saying. Like instead of looking at our neighbor and saying, look how much pain they're in compared to me, their pain is our pain in some capacity and reframing it like that. And I think we'd have a, we'd be healing the world a lot faster. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think it's the whole idea of like, you know, we're all one, right? Like, you know, now we can get a little philosophical, spiritual and all of that. But, you know, I'm very much of the belief that like, you know, we're all one. Everyone on this earth is, we're all one at the end of the day. And when one person is hurting, essentially like we could all be hurting. Right. And then as one person heals, everyone gets to heal. So I I definitely understand that. And I, what I love about this conversation is that I think this like pertains to everybody. Like this is super relevant to all of the athletes out there. This is super relevant to just the everyday nine to fivers, to the entrepreneurs, literally to all the humans, because if we're not very secure in who we are and what our own intrinsic value is, then it's so easy to fall for the trap of like, well, I don't have enough because I don't have what my neighbor has, or, you know, I'm not good enough because, you know, people aren't giving me these awards or people aren't recognizing me in this way, but when someone really knows what they're about and what they stand for, their values, their principles, then they're in a position to be like, oh no, I'm good. Like, and if I do need to change something, that change is gonna happen based off of my actions and what I do and who I ask for for support, as opposed to just thinking like, okay, I'm just gonna wait here and someone's just gonna come save me per se. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I think, also like when I was going off on my little tangent I was just saying I don't think people should feel guilty for comparing because I think we were built to compare in some capacity and then especially in sports I mean I talked to this with talk about this with my athletes it's literally a game of winning and losing how do you not compare 
It's just right. about how manage how to manage that, and uh, yeah, about the mindset around it. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. I mean, at the end of the day, especially when we talk about sports, there can only be one team that wins and then, you know, another team that loses. Or if it's an individual sport like golf, you know, you have one winner and then 30 other people who don't win. And to your point, I think it really is all about the mental side of how you look at it. And something that I talk to my youth athletes about, it's always about, you know, what was your intention and like, how was your effort? Like, do you feel like you prepared the best you could um, for the game that's at hand? Because at the end of the day, you can do all the things perfectly and still not win, right? And that's where we start to get into the conversation of like, what can you control versus what's out of your control, right? An athlete can control how they prepare. They can control how they eat. They can control how they, you know, practice stillness, right? Recharge, sleep, all of those things, but they can't control the outcome of what happens. Yeah, I mean, awareness around the controllables versus the uncontrollables is definitely something I talk about with my athletes. I also think the reframe there is every loss is part of the journey to those to that success that's going to come and trusting the process that losing is part of it and how you respond to that loss and how you move on to the next game is truly the journey of how you become a champion and recognizing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so spot on because how could someone enjoy winning if they didn't know what it felt like to lose? Exactly. Right. And I think there's so many lessons um, within a loss, right? Like, I think that's why as, you know, most athletes, or at least when you get to a certain level, you know, we talk about like watching film, right? And you're checking the tape to see what went right, what didn't go right, so that you can take that loss, dissect it and be like, okay, what can I do better the next time this type of situation comes around? And I think life is very much like that. Like, there's certain things where, say, as an entrepreneur, I have a marketing strategy and I put this marketing strategy out and I put it to work. And then, you know, say in my hypothesis, I was going to have a hundred people sign up, but say only, you know, 10 people signed up. Okay. Well, there's something to learn there of like what happened in that gap of 90 people. And I can go back, look at everything I did, learn from it and then improve the next time out as opposed to just quitting and saying like, well, my business is shitty. Nobody wants it because no one signed up. It's like, nah, it was my method. Yeah, 100%. And I don't know if you felt this, but recently for me, having my own business as well, entrepreneurship has been one of those things where I feel like I can channel so many of the mental skills I work on with my athletes. And it's kind of the first time where I've felt this excitement and seen improvement by the work I'm putting in the same way I did in sports. Um, and it's just been a really awesome process feeling all the things. No, I believe that. What, what are, have been some of the things that you've tapped into, um, on your journey of entrepreneurship from sports to what you're applying now in your work? Uh, I just think the consistency is like key. It always, you know, consistency is key. We know that. But I'm doing all these little things and in sport, that's also, it's the little things. It's the mobility. It's working on the mindset. It's, you know, getting those extra hundred shots up at the end, things like that. Those little things that add up that no one sees but in the end are what set you apart from all the rest. And I'm, I feel that so hard with my own business now. And uh, it's just, it's cool how translatable it is. Yeah, no, that's real too. And and I'm curious too, because like my background is mostly team sports. And then when you were doing your distance running, was it more just you or was it also like relay type of things where it was you and your team uh, together? I was on a few relays, um, but I, I played basketball and soccer all through high school too. Okay. And basketball yeah. is my favorite sport. And I work, I have a few runners, but I work mostly with basketball and football players um and the team aspect adds a whole other component and that's why i like working with team sport athletes as well because there's a lot less controllables 
Right. So how do you manage sure. that? How do you manage that? Yeah, no, it's so it's so funny because as you're talking about this, it has me start to think. It's like in my own journey as an entrepreneur, for at least the beginning of it, I always felt like I had to do everything by myself, which was new because you know most of my sports are team sports, right? So it's like in football, you know, coaches used to always harp on do your job, do your job, do your job. Like if I do my specific job and everyone else does their job, then, you know, ideally we get the result that we're looking for, a win. Whereas in entrepreneurship, it was so interesting in the beginning to try to do literally every job myself. Like I am marketing, I am finance, I am advertising, I am sales, I am product development. Like I'm all these aspects of it, yet, I thought I had to do it by myself. And one of the lessons that I've really learned, I really came back to is teamwork and how if I want to be successful to the level that I want to be, I can't, or maybe I can, but I'm choosing not to do it by myself. Like I'm choosing to collaborate with other entrepreneurs that can help me put together a certain entity or I am collaborating and paying other entrepreneurs or professionals to do the parts of the job that maybe I don't love to do and I can spend my genius doing the aspects of the job that I do love to do. So I think it's interesting and I would love to, I guess, hear like your thoughts on the difference of attacking entrepreneurship from like a one-on-one, I got to do it myself standpoint versus if you have more experience of like, okay, I understand the concept of team and I'm applying that team concept to what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I think for me, at the beginning, when you're building your voice and building your quote unquote brand, it's hard to outsource and to have a team at the beginning because you're still trying to figure out who you are and what what you're bringing to the table exactly. What's your voice? Mm-hmm. So I'm still at the beginning stages, but I do, I mean, I delegate for sure. <laughs> I think that's the key. I mean, a good leader can delegate and feels comfortable with their team to give off a task, to hand off a task and trust that they're on their team and they're going to do the right thing. And like you said, can I put my, what am I masterful at? For me right now, it's all about the reps. I'm running routes, but I'm, my routes are getting really, really masterful at coaching athletes. That's all I'm putting my energy towards. That's what I care most about the marketing, everything else, I don't feel a need for my energy to be put there because it takes away from the deep work that I'm trying to do. Stepping into other people's lives in a manner like this is um, takes a lot of energy, as you know. So right. um, how can I show up as my best self for my clients? Well, I can do that by delegating the things that doesn't involve showing up for my clients. That's so fact. Yeah. Like you, you, understand that for you to be most impactful to your clients it's being present being there with them and actually having that one-on-one work and getting the reps in that way no that makes so much sense what do you feel like has been the the biggest wins so far in like you crafting your business and and having the impact that you're having on athletes like what do you feel like has been the most joyous parts about it one of them has definitely been talking to uh, a lot of duke alum or athletes that i've met along my path and telling them what i'm doing sharing with them and their eyes lighting up and seeing the value and being like this was this is so needed thank you i'm so happy you're doing this uh that's been really really rewarding to just see athletes at all these levels, whether they're coaching or playing still themselves. I also think that just being like feeling excited that what I'm stepping into now is exactly what I wish I had. And being able to know that I'm feeling that purpose just feels good. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I think it goes right back to that that whole idea of the, the healing, or I'm sorry, the, the wounded healer, right? It's, it's you're going in and you're providing the service that you wish you would have had at the time when you were running at Duke. 
No, that's huge. That's huge. And are you finding that there's like, this is becoming more of a not serviceable thing, but is this something that's more available to athletes nowadays than say it was when we were in school? Good question. I think it is, uh, especially with COVID, I think it's becoming more mainstream, but I still think we have a ways to go. Uh, In the field, there's a kind of a a barrier between mental performance and mental health. And for Mm -hmm. me, I think that they intertwine deeply. So I lean into the fact that I support both and I am a part of both. And in fact, I feel like I lean more towards mental health than mental performance in a lot of ways. But with athletes, I recognize that there's more of an avenue being a coach because it's something they're familiar with and it builds stronger rapport. And the stronger rapport you have, the more work can For sure, that trust is there. What would you say is the distinction between mental health and mental performance? Mental performance coaches, they're usually on the court, on the field. Uh, they're doing exact skills. So when I say mental performance, mental skills coach, this is someone that's telling them, oh, I can't, uh, my fastball isn't landing the way I want it to or whatever it is. Uh, and they give them a specific skill. Most of the, the processes can be worked through with just discussion or journaling or something um, just way less pathological. Whereas with mental health, you know, there's a scope of practice difference. Most of the mental health clinicians are licensed in some capacity. So um, my plan is to get licensed eventually. Right now I'm focused more on mental skills, but I just have awareness, you know, being certified health coach and personal trainer and like really taking a holistic approach and taking those things into account. And then I have my master's in clinical psych. So I have a background um, in that part, but you know, the mental health part focuses more on the anxiety, things like that. Okay. So it seems like that work uh, typically is a little bit deeper and may, may take a little bit more time to kind of unpack than maybe some of like the mental performance coaching can kind of be like in the moment while someone's playing at that same time. Exactly. You reflected that perfectly. No, I appreciate that. No, that makes a lot of sense. I really enjoy this conversation because I think for everybody listening, like understanding how important the mental side of life is, it can be a catalyst in somebody creating the change that they want in life or ultimately just reaching their dream life for the highest version of themselves. And when we're able to look at ourselves from this mental level, and understand that like, okay, maybe my thoughts aren't really facts. Like maybe I can actually distinguish and remove myself from my actual thoughts and look at it from this bird's eye view of like, okay, like this is what's going on in my head. Here's how I can actually make sense of it as opposed to just getting like lost in the storm per se. Mm, Exactly. Yeah. So I would love to end this with, Maybe you can leave the listeners with some tools that they can incorporate in their own life so that they can really increase their mental skills and mental performance. Yeah, okay. Um, Well, the tool that I uh, wanted to share that I did earlier on was the stoplight or the streetlight because I think that's something that's really applicable to all realms and not just sports. Uh, I'd say another tool I like to use is just finding your anchor. So what you just mentioned is, you know, these storms are going to come, but what's something that you can always come back to that's going to remind you to be in the present moment and not be taken away by the storms. So whether that's a word, uh, uh, seeing something, touching something, whatever it is, what can bring you back to that anchor? I love that. I love that. And how long do you usually see that it might take somebody to be able to make this like a regular tool and something that they can always come back to? Or when does it start to become easier for them? It really depends on the athlete. Like I have some, like my younger athletes, 
they're like, oh, it works so well, 28 points. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. okay, great, great, great. With like older athletes, I feel like it's harder because you have to reprogram so many things. And like I said, they've already had a level of success. So it's, it's also that conflicting, like, should I change because I did get this far? Um, mm. So it really depends. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense that, you know, for the younger athletes, they can kind of tap into it much quicker. And then what I would say is like, you know, for the majority of people who, who listen to this podcast, you know, they're around our age and older, right? They're professionals. What I would, what I would invite you all to do that are listening is start to understand like where you currently are in your life and understand what got you to that point and see if are those things still working for you. And if they're not working for you, that might be an invitation to see what else is out there and what can change in order for you to get to where you want to go. Because something can get you to a certain point and it's also possible that that same thing may not serve you in getting to that next level. So be aware of where you want to be. That is such good advice. Yes, Roger that. I like it. Well, Chloe, I appreciate all of your time today. I mean, you've gave us so many different perspective tools and really led us, you know, behind the curtain of your life and really helping us understand what got you to this point in wanting to help athletes of, you know, the youth all the way to the professional level, really hone in on their mental performance and mental skills. And I can definitely see how you're going to be helping so many people with their mental health going forward where can everyone find you online if they want to learn more about you and your work my website is www.growwithclo.com my instagram is growwithclo um yeah every growwithclo at gmail.com is my email so any of those feel free to reach out it's gro with clo c-l-o oh i like that perfect well, everyone listening, please, please, please make sure you check out Chloe and everything that she is up to. She's up to amazing things, and I know that she can provide so much value to your life, whether you're an athlete or not. And Chloe, I appreciate your time. This was amazing. Yes, thank you so much for having me. No, my pleasure. We'll do it again real soon. All right.